that to them. Uh, one, one thing I want to make you aware of is maybe those of you who are online or in the back room, but if you are needing somebody to pick up a bottle or deliver things for uh, the New Life Ministry, Lynn Larson said she'd be available to be the, the transport lady. So uh, if you're wanting to do that, please contact the office and we'll contact Lynn. But uh, just if you're not coming into Berean or what have you, that's a way to get those things to you. So just want to make you aware of that. So we just went through our first full week of 2021. And a lot of us hope that some of the stuff or the, the baggage of 2020 was left behind us. But on Wednesday, a lot of us turned on the television to see in dismay protesters overrunning the Congress in protest of the recent election. Now, I'm bringing that not to make, I'm bringing this to the floor not to make a political statement or point. But my point is this, more on an emotional level. It just seemed like one more thing. Like, okay, here we go. I mean, we just got out of 2020 and a virus changed how all of life is lived in the world, not just the United States. And then, you know, we kind of got midway through and Racial tensions flared up with some of the things that happened to Maude Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, and that was hard to go through. And then a contentious uh, election, and that was really tough. And some people, you know, contesting whether there was fraud or not, the legitimacy of that, I'm not here to say one way or the other. Um, but some people decided to, to take matters into their own hands, right? And some of those people were carrying banners, saying, Jesus is my Lord. Unfortunately, they just appeared foolish and thuggish on television. And I have to say that I don't believe their actions were in line with the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's more in line with the kingdom of this world. But here's the thing. This is why I bring this up. And I'm not saying that those issues I brought up are not important. They are, and they affect our lives. But all these things swirling around us can get us distracted, can't they? They can get our eyes off things and get us worried, get us fearful, get us worked up, and we start to lose our focus. I don't know if you've noticed this last year, maybe with the people watching Netflix more, but you know, there's been a resurgence of the Karate Kid. Do you remember that movie from the 1980s, right? For this, as a church, this is a Mr. Miyagi moment. This is a focus, Daniel-san, moment for us. Because we need to get our eyes back on the things that matter, that Christ has called us to do. And so that's what I want to focus on today. Just refocusing what the Lord has called us to do. So before I even dive in, let me pray, and then we'll open up God's Word and, and see what He has for us. So Lord, first of all, You are a good Savior. You are the one who came and dwelt among us to make us sons and daughters of the living God and given us an amazing message. And um, so grateful for people like Casey and Matthew that have been called to take that good news to the rest of the world. But we want to be faithful what you've called us to do. So Lord, I pray that as I speak today, 
you will guide my words. Let me uh, proclaim what is true from your word, edit out what's not true, and help us, Lord, to move forward as your people, as your gospel people who've been called to love you and follow you all the days of our life. We are grateful you've called us to yourself. We pray that you'll use us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. So, um, like so many organizations, we have a purpose statement or a mission statement, if you will. And many of you already know that. So let's call our three P's and a T. We're about the process of pursuing God, of preparing people and proclaiming Christ together. Not just as individuals, but together. Uh, this is nothing new. We, we talk about this often in our sermons, but I think it's good, again, to remind and refocus. This is what God has called us to be about. So number one, pursuing God. And this is anchored in what we might call the great commandment. A Pharisee came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Mark's gospel says this in Mark twelve twenty nine, as Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. I guess a paraphrase of this is, God doesn't need to be a priority. He needs to be the priority. The number one focus in your life. Now, here's an interesting question, and, and maybe you're thinking this, maybe you're not. Why does God command us to love him? Does he have a confidence problem? Does his ego need to be stroked? Is he insecure? Is he self-serving? No, God commands us to love him. Because he knows he is the only source of where true life is and where our, our soul satisfaction comes from. He commands us to worship him because he knows he's the only thing that's worth fully worshiping and giving our lives over to. I quote oftentimes my favorite verse, and I'm going to take the opportunity again, which is Psalm 16.2, where David says to the Lord in his prayer, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. That's all the things that this world has to offer. All the things I think are going to fill my soul. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I don't know if you've experienced that in your life. I know I have. The things I'm trying to fill my life with from this world, they end up coming empty. And reminding me that there's only one who can fill my soul. Jesus himself says, I came to give life and I came to give it to the full. Or I came to give it abundantly. That's why God calls us to worship him. To love him. Because he knows that's where we're going to find our soul satisfaction. 
I'm a, I'm a fan of John Piper's book, Desiring God. And one of the great quotes in that book is, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. I'm telling you, when we fill our souls with Him, that is where our souls get satisfaction and He gets glory from it. He gets glory from it. Here's another thing I want you to think about, though. God calls us to pursue Him because He has pursued us. Because He has pursued us. Think about this. I'm, I'm reading through the Bible again in a year, right? I've gone through Genesis. And Genesis 3 is where the fall of man takes place. Where men and women choose to disobey God and eat of the tree of of good and evil in the garden. And then God approaches and they hide, right? And he says, where are you? Do you think God didn't know what they had done? Do you think he was asking for information that he wasn't privy to? No, he says, where are you? Because he's pursuing them. He's pursuing even his disobedient children who've chosen to go against his loving command. He's pursuing them. And is that not what we just came out of in this last season of Christmas? Celebrating the fact that God has pursued us. And he pursued us in his son. The Apostle John in his first letter says this in chapter 4 verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. One of the things that should compel us to pursue Him is that He has pursued us and made Himself known to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this call is to love God with all of your heart. That is your emotions. That is your passions. That is all of your affections. Let me ask you a question. In the moments you have to come and worship God or pursue Him, do you get excited? Do you say, I get to open up God's Word today and pursue Him and find out more about Him and commune with Him and have Him reveal more to me. I get to go to church today. I get to be with God's people and I get to hear from God's word and I get to worship him, to give worth to him. I mean, think about this. We sing to God. We sing about God. Because we're trying to engage our hearts. And I hope at moments you do feel engaged. I know every song is not your favorite. I get that. I understand that. There's a diversity in, in desires and 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 likes and preferences. But the purpose is to pursue Him. The purpose is to pursue Him in spirit and in truth and to engage our hearts. From another heart perspective, are you grieved? Are you grieved in those moments where there are things in your life you know are causing separation or division between you and your God? Where you're holding on to things you know that are not from Him. Or heart, a hard heart about something. Are there rivals in your heart for God being your first love? 
or about God being the one who you want to pursue first. You know, in Revelation, the beginning of Revelation, there are seven letters to churches in Asia Minor. And the first church is in Ephesus. And in chapter 2, Jesus lists off all the good things that they're doing. But at the end, he says, you know, I have one thing against you. You're doing all these great things, but you've lost your first love. I'm just another thing on your do-it list, rather than being your first love. Rather than being the one you're pursuing with all your being. Christ has to be first and foremost in our hearts, in our affections, in our passions, in everything. And so God's command is to love God not with only all of our heart, but all of our soul. That is our very self, our identity. To have value, to value God or value Christ in light of what He has made us. First of all, we're the crown of His creation. He makes us in our image. There is no other created being that is made in God's image. Not the angels, not the animals, and there's no other being in which God put on form to become. God becomes a man. He lives this life to pursue us. But to live, to, to love Him with our very soul, because if you're in Christ, you're His. You're His people. You're His daughter. You're His son. You're His children. You're His workmanship, as Pastor Kelly put out last week. You are His temple where His Holy Spirit dwells. The Apostle Paul addresses the people in Corinth in his first letter to them in chapter 6. And he's admonishing them to be careful about how they handle their bodies, especially when it comes to sexual immorality. When they are in a place where they're tempted to enter into sexual sin. He says, don't do that. Honor God with your bodies because you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And your identity isn't Him. You are His. You are His. What would it look like if we had that attitude as I walked into the store or I walk into work, or in my leisure time, or in a place where no one is looking, how would I live differently if my attitude was, I am His. I am His. How are we doing with loving God with our very self? With our very soul, if you will. He calls us to love Him with all of our mind. What we think about. What we dwell on. And what we think about so often is what we value, right? Let me ask you, what do you think about a lot? You know, when I was in college, I, I played college volleyball. And I found myself thinking about it all the time. I mean, I literally, I would lay awake at night in my bed thinking about volleyball. 
I had, a, I had a Steve Timmons poster. I don't know if you remember Steve Timmons. He was the red-headed guy with the crew cut. Maybe not. Okay, never mind. Am I the only one here? But anyway, my point is this. I used to think about it all the time because I wanted to be a better volleyball player because I thought that's where I had value. Now, I still love volleyball, but I do not lay awake thinking about it anymore. You know, my glory days are over, if you will. But I've realized that, again, Lord Jesus, apart from you, I have no good thing. What do I think about? And when you are thinking about God, are you thinking about Him? That's my question. Are you thinking about Him a lot? What informs what you think about God? Is it your own opinion? Or what is being said on YouTube? Or what our society says? Or is it what God has revealed about Himself? Because some people chafe when they read some hard things in this Bible, right? When they see that God punishes the wicked and it seems harsh. When he says, yeah, you need to save sex for marriage between one man and one woman in a covenant before me. Not just anytime you want. Some people don't like that. That's so old-fashioned. That's so antiquated. So so Puritan. When God says, yeah, I, I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to not take vengeance. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. You know, right now in India, I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted by Hindus, because the Hindus want to make it a Hindu nation. It's illegal according to, you know, the, the Indian constitution, but it's happening. And their prayer is that they would love their enemies, that they would turn the other cheek, that they would trust God for justice, so that they might hear the gospel and see the gospel in their lives and turn around. But that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we don't want to hear that because we want to protect us. We want to protect this life. And we're afraid God will let us down somehow. We forget that there's a greater kingdom we're living for. Again, what's informing your mind and how you love God? Is it the Word of God? Is it God's Word? And I'll tell you folks, I'm 56 years old. I've made a habit of reading this book through every year. Just because I want to see the big picture. I want to see how things are connected. I want to see what God is doing. And they are connected. It's not a series of just random stories. There is a big through line. And you see God's fingerprints all over it. But I can't tell you, I, I can, I've got everything figured out. And there are some hard things. But I want to allow God to be God. And He is good. You know, one of the most challenging books for me to go through every year is Job. Because Job 
go through a lot of suffering. But the end, God counts it good that he allows him to suffer and he reveals himself in a whole different way to Job than when it first starts out. But how are you loving God with your mind? And, and by the way, I, I'm a great believer for anchoring all, all this in, your, in our, His Word, and we ought to do that. But engage other Christian thinkers. You know, don't just make your own mind the only place where you ruminate on these things. Or even me. Don't make me the only source of theological enlightenment. There are a lot of good, lot of good books out there, a lot of good thinkers out there. If you need recommendations, I'd love to make recommendations for you. But I will tell you, some of those books have changed how I think about God. And so, and it's healthy and it's good. And I see more life in that than if I just was left to myself, to my own figuring out those things. So how are we loving God with our mind? Loving God with all of your strength. That is your energy, your effort, your resources. Show me what you spend your time, your energy, your money on, and I'll show you what you love. I'll show you what your priorities are. Many of us have this misconception that real love is easy. It doesn't take any effort. And that's not a reality. And I think I can show you that from, if any of you, have, you know, who are married, think about the effort that you went through to start connecting with this person who you would marry. I remember when Carrie and I first met, right? She was a morning person because she had to get up early. I was a night owl. And so oftentimes, and this is when it, the email was just starting out, right? So I'd write her at night before I'd go to bed, and then she'd wake up early and write me back. And I couldn't wait to see what she had to say. But that took, that took effort. And then I had to buy her engagement ring. Well, that took money, right? But I was willing to do that. I was willing to do that because I wanted to pursue her. I wanted her to be my wife, my life partner, and it was worth it. And along the way, you know, there's still sacrifices that we make for each other to pursue each other. Sometimes it's just, do you like these shades? Do you like these shades? I don't know. Go ahead and make your own choice. But here's the point. We make sacrifices to pursue what is important. We give effort to it. And we need to give effort to pursuing God. To loving Him. Are you willing to be spent on pursuing God? And here's the last asterisk because I need to keep moving here. Loving God is connected with love for others. Again, you know, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he says this, right after that. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, our love for God is connected with our love for others. Again, the Apostle John in his letter 
says in chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There is a together aspect of loving God, of pursuing God. Jesus in the, in uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 25, when he talks about coming before God, he judges people by what they did for the very least of these. Did you feed the hungry? Visit the sick, those imprisoned. He says, when you did that, you did this, that to the very least of these, my brethren. What you didn't do, you didn't do unto me. So again, there is a connection. There's also a together aspect, again, as I said, of loving God. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment. I'm going to be real with you. This command is more than we can actually do in our own flesh, right? To love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's a good goal. But I'm falling short. How about you? But here's the thing. It reminds us of the gospel. That I don't have to I don't have to fully complete or obey this command because I can't, but God has. He has loved me. He has loved you completely in Christ. And He's the one who bridges the gap. He is the one who, who bridges the gap between my ability or my failure to be able to love Him fully with everything I have. And you know what that does? actually takes the pressure off. Because that means I don't have to jump through God's hoops to be acceptable to Him. I'm already accepted in Christ. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news. And it means I don't have to be driven by duty. I just need to move towards Him. I just need to make Pursuing him, my goal, and get better at it. Maybe I'm not as good as I, you know, would like to be, but I'm better than I was a year ago, Lord willing. And I'm moving towards that. I'm moving towards being a better lover of God. And it is the foundation, loving God and pursuing God is the foundation for everything else. Because when I know God loves me and I feel that, it compels me to want to share that love with others as we're going to talk about here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says that the love of God compels us to make this gospel known. It causes me to make it known. And it also causes me to love people in tangible ways. It's a motive for mission. It's also a place of empowerment. Because in pursuing Him, I know I need to be one with Him. I, need, I know I need to be connected with Him. Jesus 
illustrates this in the vine and branches illustration in, in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then in a more corporate sense, there is a, a sense where you experience the love of God in his body. As Jesus is the head, Ephesians four fifteen through 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to, to become in every aspect, every respect, the mature body of him who is the head of, that is Christ. From, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, together, we are ministering Christ to one another. Because if you're in Christ, then Christ dwells in you. And you have an opportunity to minister to you, to me. And if Christ dwells in me, then he's in me and Christ has an opportunity to minister from me to you. What an amazing thing to be in that body, to be building each other up with Jesus as the head. So is there something that's distracting you from pursuing him? I don't know what it is. But maybe that's something we need to look at at the beginning of this year. And my question is, what is one thing you want to do this year to take the next step in pursuing him? What's something you want to do? Maybe it's reading the Bible more. That's great. If you're interested in reading the whole Bible, I I have some opportunities to do that. I, I just encourage you to do this. If you're going to do that, don't put it on automatic pilot and just kind of get through the content and forget what it says, because you can do that really easily. On the other hand, if you're taking smaller chunks, do something to engage your heart with that. What's been helpful for me is I've, taken, I've just taken notebooks, and I'll copy the English text down, and then I'll start writing in response to that text. And it's only a paragraph, maybe four or five sentences, but it helps me engage. helps me digest so one is the forest. See how the whole forest is laid out. One is the trees. How does this individually thing work? Maybe it's prayer. Maybe you want to spend more time in prayer. And that's great. Just make sure you're not walking in this with kind of a, how should I say, uh, a consumer attitude. God, give me what I want. This is more about knowing him. And growing in him. And, and actually, if you're going to pursue him in prayer, be prepared to be changed. Because he may reveal something to you and, and say, hey, I, I love you, but here's what I want to adjust in your life. Here's how I want to change you. Here's what I want you to let go of. Here's what I want you to take up the challenge in doing. It might be obedience. Yeah, I, I know that, but now I need to take the step towards that. I need to do what it says, not just read it. And that's a great place. That's a great thing. Obedience is wonderful because you get to see God be faithful. But on the other hand, don't make that a trade-off. We're like, God, I obeyed you. Now you've got to come through. You've got to make my life perfect. It doesn't work like that. In fact, if you obey, you might actually find things that are harder at times.
That's a place to grow and grow in pursuing Him. And then I'm, I'm always grateful for uh, how we can pursue God in the body. Maybe it means becoming part of a life together group. Or if we ever get it back online, adult Sunday school or what have you. But those things, pursuing Christ in each other because we can be iron sharpening iron. It's a wonderful thing. So how are you going to pursue God this year is my question. And whatever you do, stick with it. Stick with it. Next is preparing people. The Great Commission. Jesus said at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So there is a discipleship aspect in learning to follow Jesus. That is, teaching them uh, to obey all I've commanded. Now we're going to get to the evangelism part and the proclaiming Christ here part. But, and this may seem backwards, but when you start following Jesus, when you put your faith in Him, that means you're learning to follow Him and, and bring every aspect of your life under His headship. Again, salvation is the gateway into that. But it's a lifelong process. So none of us really arrives on this side of heaven. But there is an equipping end of things, equipping for faith and maturity. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28, says this. He is the one, talking about Jesus, we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So yes, it starts out in proclaiming, putting faith in Christ, responding to his life, death, and resurrection by faith. But once you've crossed that threshold to start following him, saying, Lord, you're in charge. What are we doing now? And to bring every aspect of our lives under his headship. But in doing that, we grow in maturity. Now, some of the arenas where we've done this, again, adult Sunday school, children's Sunday school, Awana, um, youth group, we've had to pare back because of COVID, right? But we're now starting to get some of those things online. Awana's going to start up on the 27th of, of January. Youth group is back online live. So pray, I, we're praying that God will give us more opportunity to do that, Okay. But here's the thing, and, and I'm kind of focusing this on parents for a moment here. You know, that command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you know what the command is next? And so, so talk about them along the way. Engage. It's basically a command to the parents to say, hey, let's talk about what that means. So for John Downer, to talk to his sons, Owen and Brennan. Hey, is there something that's keeping you from loving the Lord? What does that mean for you guys at school or what have you? We need to engage our families there. There's also the issue of just equipping for works of service. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ has some sort of gift that they can offer to the body. No one is a throwaway. This is confirmed in verse 12. It's also in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's the job of, of the leaders here at Berean Ministry to equip and appoint those and put those people in place where they can best be used to minister to the body so that the body grows up and is more like Christ. Here's my question. You follow Jesus. What gifts do you have to offer to the body to help us grow up a little bit more and to be like Christ? There's also equipping for entrusting and imparting. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things you've heard me say, this is Paul talking to Timothy. In the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. We identify people who God has called to, to impart these things. We equip them, giving them the right doctrine, the right teaching to be sent out and to teach others. To impart it to others. And this is true of our elders, of missionaries that we sent out, of leaders. By the way, that's the strategy of what we're trying to do with the Brian Fellowship in, in the church planters in India, our 24-6, to impart these things to faithful men so that they can teach others. We want them to take this gospel, this good word, to other unreached people groups in India. But again, my question is, what gift has God given you? Or what, how might the Lord be calling you to invest in others and equip? And it might be you have a great grasp of theology and can impart that to others. And if that's true, that's fantastic. And we want to use that. But it might be just a gift or a skill that will equip someone for future effectiveness later on. Let me tell you about Jan Peters. Jan Peters was the administrative assistant, we actually call her a secretary, back in the 80s, in the office in Santa Barbara at Trinity Baptist Church, where I first did my, my pastor, my, an internship, right? You know what Jan Peters imparted to me? Learning how to cut and paste. I mean, really cut and paste, not, not with computers, scissors, cutter, you know, a little bit of stick glue to make calendars for youth group stuff and things of that nature. And you know what? That sounds silly, but that skill has done me well for a lot of things, like customizing music for leading worship and things of that nature. I'm grateful for Jan Peters and what she imparted into my life because of that. You know, Pastor Alex, he kind of heads up the audio end of our ministry. And you know what the first thing he was taught in that ministry? is how to roll up chords by the guy who led the ministry at Autumn Ridge. But because of that investment, 
Alex was a great resource when we transferred from an, uh, an analog board to a digital law, uh, board. And I can't even explain to that due to all the challenges of that. But Alex has been the person that helped us spearhead that effort because of the investment that was made in him. Maybe you have something to impart. Or maybe you're a place where you want to be imparted to. You know, we just started putting our service online this year. I got two guys who are heading that up, but you know what? We need others to impart that skill to. So if you're interested in that, come talk to myself or John Finnan or Andy Preto. But, you know, what are you going to impart into somebody in 2021? How are you going to help um, prepare, prepare them? And last of all, we have proclaiming Christ. And this is the other end of the Great Commission, right? To share the good news. To share the gospel. To tell others about what Christ has done in us. And what he can do in them. Jesus says to his apostles in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that call is still true today. As we read earlier, Matthew's version Matthew 18, uh, 28, verse uh, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And yes, there is a, an overseas expression of this, right? And we're supporting Casey and Matthew with that. We're supporting Emily, who made it back safely, by the way, as well as the Cossies in, Aust- in Austria, our brothers and sisters in Haiti, uh, missions in, in Cuba, But we've been given a message that God has said, I want you to impart. Here's the problem. We're afraid that people really don't want to hear it. We're afraid that people don't want to hear it. And we put all the weight on ourselves to say, I I don't know if I'm going to do it right. I don't know if I'm going to say the right things, if I have all the answers. The pressure needs to be off of us. The pressure needs to be off of us. First of all, people need to hear it, folks, because if they don't, they're going to perish. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. You know why it says should not perish? Because people are going to perish. They're going to spend a Christless eternity in judgment. It's what we call hell. If they do not hear and respond to the good news, to the gospel. And they don't have life. 1 John 5, 12, 11 and 12 says, This is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. People are dead spiritually without Christ. But the power is in the power of God through His gospel. Paul would say this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So number one, 
It really is. The gospel really is good news. And we need to remind our hearts of that. But second of all, it is the power of God. He is the one who saves people, not us. It's not our power of persuasion. It is the Holy Spirit opening eyes of hearts to respond to his good news. So yes, let's be purposeful in being salt and light as Jesus commanded us to. Salt, you know, influences. Light reveals. And yes, let's love our neighbors as ourselves. But eventually we're going to have to tell them why we love them. Because of Jesus. And let that love compel us. It starts again with loving God. And folks, I realize this is a really challenging time, right? You have the whole social distancing thing, and you're not able to get with people. But here's the thing. There's never been a better time, actually. Because this season has shown us, even as a society, the things that we're leaning on for security and comfort, science, government, creature comforts, economy, the fragility of life, those things are all failing. And there's only one that can save. And we get to tell people about where our hope is. Why we have a hope. So, two things. I want you to be praying. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been distracted, but now be praying. Be praying for opportunities that God might put in front of you. But also be praying for those who you've been praying for to come to Christ. Maybe they're family members. Don't give up. Maybe they're co-workers. Don't give up. In fact, here's what I encourage you to do. Find somebody else to pray with you for that person. Don't carry that burden alone. Say, hey, I've I've got a brother-in-law I need you to pray for. Would you be praying for that person? And know that the Lord wants to draw men and women to himself. And here's the thing also. Locally, it's only the first week of January, folks. It's only the first week of January. What does God want to do to give you opportunity to share about him this winter, this spring, this summer, even Christmas? In 2021. What does God want to do in help you proclaiming Christ this year? Will we be ready for it or are we going to be distracted? Are we going to be distracted by all the other things that are going on around us? I take great courage in this word from the Apostle Paul because it takes the pressure off me, it takes the pressure off you, those of us who are in Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. And if we go forward with that, that confidence of what God wants to do, of what God wants to accomplish, then it takes the pressure off you and me. 
I haven't said anything new you haven't heard today, haven't heard before. But I just want to remind you that God has called us as his people to be pursuing him, to chase him, make him the priority, to prepare people. Yeah, make an investment in somebody for the kingdom and to proclaim Christ. And he wants to do that innocent through us to help people change and have their eternity changed. And he's called us to do it together. What a privilege. Praise the Lord. And I realize the pastor went on too long, right? So stand if you will. receive this good word that comes from God's word, this benediction. So now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, not our power, his power, that is a work within us, to him be glory in the church. Yes, here on the corner of Kenosha and Valley High, but to the ends of the earth in India and overseas, and in the 1040 window, and all those other places. To Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.